All right, and we are live. Another episode of Shut Up and Invest. We got a good one today. We went back to back if you heard us yesterday. Today we're coming with another heavy hitter. We got a special guest, and I think it's the technical difficulties. How are you? Wow, guys, I am so sorry. It's like some things I'm really good at, and the other things I am not so good at. And this happens to be one of the things that just do not work for me. <laughs> we got it no all. Problem. All right, we're squared away. Jay, what's going on? Hi. Hey, man, I'm I'm doing good. I'm uh excited to bring on another great guest today. We went yesterday with Pace, which was a big episode, and now we're going back to back, like Kevin said. And uh, let us know. Let, let the people know who we're talking to today. Miss Jamisa. Am I saying that correctly? I don't want to butcher your name, Miss Jamisa. I already butchered the whole tech part, so you get a pay. <laughs> but you actually did say it right. It's Jamisa. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Miss Jamisa has built a beautiful <laughs> rental portfolio. Not even 30 years old yet, right? If Not I'm yet. Right. I'm getting closer. I have a birthday coming up, and that will be huh? June 27th. I'm, I'm inching my way to the dirty 30s. <laughs> Listen, you still got a long way to go. Trust me. Once you hit that three, all of a sudden it goes lightning speed. It goes lightning speed. So before the age of 27, you currently have how many properties in your portfolio? 23. 23 properties. And today she's going to break down how she got there starting from scratch, ground zero. So if you're listening to the show and you're wondering, how can I get to even just three, four, five, and eventually 20 something, we're going to break this down today. Jay. I, had to edit, I had to edit the marketing because I put 18 properties, right? Because I saw the article you had in the, was it Black Enterprise you had the article in? That was in December. You got to okay, keep I, up with the times. I didn't know, man. And I texted you and, uh, and she sent back, I got 23. So you're yeah. moving a lot of She said, listen, <laughs> you got to keep up. I add a few per month. What's going I, on? That's literally the goal to add a few per month. Um, but I had slowed down in momentum because I'm also actively helping people purchase as well. And you can imagine how awkward that is, right? You like show up at an auction with people and you're like, I could outbid you, but I'm here to help you. So hold on. So it kind of slowed down my track, um, but I'm still moving at a good speed and it's working out really well for me. Awesome. Beautiful. awesome. So we're going to all that because you are a realtor too, right? So no, just an investor, but I did go to real estate school. Um, okay, that's you. And I was like, all right, do I want to split with the broker? Like, just to me, from where I was coming from, it just made more sense to stay as an investor. Um, I really like real estate agents. I have a really good relationship with agents. But financially, I just didn't feel like it made sense. And I didn't really have the time that it would take. Um, you got to really tip your hat to agents because they have to rank up. Right. So you come in, you don't automatically get the million dollar listings. Right. Everything doesn't work for you really well. And they really grinding it out mission-wise. And to me, I was like, well, the first property I ever sold, I made 152 and that was all for me. Um, and then when you think about just even the taxes, if I would have done a 1031 exchange, I could have deferred some taxes. I didn't, but I just felt like I would make more as an investor and I was actively making more. So I felt like to be an agent at that time would kind of backtrack me. So I did do the fundamentals and practice to learn the terminologies. But then when I realized all of the things that came with it, I was like, I'll double back for it later. And realized I just didn't have a need for it um, yeah. after work. 
Got it. Got it. When you you sold that first property, you got tell us actually tell us the story. How you even got into the real estate? Tell us your story and tell us about that first deal. Yeah, I had to tell you because it wasn't ground zero. Um, it was just because I was a really good person, you know. So I was raised by my grandparents. Like I'm a really old soul because I am really an old person. Now, what ended up happening was I showed a high level of responsibility early on. I mean, I'm the oldest of. I think I have ten younger siblings. That that just was always in me. Be responsible. Be the person that people can rely on, even before it was financially. So my grandmother had asked me, "Hey, listen." Um, you do a good job of helping me already. If something is to happen to me, what would happen to the house? Like who would carry on with the house? And being as though I was the person always helping her and looking out for her, I kind of opted into that. I was like, I'll do it. I got it. Right. Cause I didn't realize what I was actually signing up for. So I agreed to, Hey grandma, I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. So she added me to her deed at that point. Um, and I ended up paying maybe $500 cause I had to do the recording fees, like the title and so it was a very like small purchase. I didn't spend thousands of dollars on my first property. And I was fine. So here it is. I'm now on a deed with her. She still lives in a property. I'm still living my millennial life. Um, making mistakes. <laughs> I think I was a cashier at this time. I only have two real jobs in my life. I worked at Home Depot in high school and then I was a cashier. Two and a half jobs. We'll talk about the half later. <laughs> so anyways, I signed the paperwork all as well. And then maybe a year after that, she died. Now, it was natural causes. She, she wasn't always the healthiest anyway. But we didn't really see that coming. We do take life for granted. So that's like one of my favorite quotes. You have to take life as serious as we take death. Like when people die, it's like, ugh. It's like everybody has to die. Like you have to really take this whole thing serious. Mm-hmm. So when she passed away, um, I believe I was 19, going on 20. And I realized what I had actually signed up for, meaning property taxes, deferred maintenance, because no, she's no longer living in a property anymore. Um, just the idea of having it cleaned out. They're like, do you want a demo too? I'm like, what's the demo? They're like, well, we break everything down. I'm like, no, just take her stuff out. Like, we'll take what's important. You take the trash. Okay, 5000 I was like, huh? 5000 to clean up? Like, what? <laughs> okay. Then I was like, well, how do you want it? Then like, oh yeah, you know, it's a leak here, it's deferred maintenance. This is gonna cost you mold and this is gonna be this. And I was like, mold, she lived there. There was no mold when she lived there. Why is it mold now? Oh, the pipes are freezing, just crazy stuff. I was like, this is what she meant. What's gonna happen to the right? She was like, I didn't know. And we had that conversation. She just said, Could I do it? And I said, Yeah. Needless to say, I cannot. <laughs> um, my first thought was because I was somewhere actively renting. So my first thought was, okay, I'll move in. This is a debt-free property. Oh, I can live somewhere for free. This is great. Then I'm like, well, I don't really like the walls. This panel. How do we do that? They're like, oh, you break it down. You pull it apart. I was like, huh? Then I was like, the drop cylinders. I don't really like drop cylinders. Oh, reset. The run of electric is about 7000 I'm like, what? I'm going to sell it. Like, this is it. I'm selling this property. Um, because outside of the financial obligation with it, I still had the family obligation, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm the youngest, and they're like, "Well, I should get it because she's my mom." Well, I should get it because I'm the oldest. I'm like, "Yeah, yep. so y'all gonna fix it?" They're like, "What? I can't fix it." I'm like, "Well, they leave me alone, right?" <laughs> so it became a thing. I end up selling it, and that's where I got the 152 thousand from. Wow. So let's back up real quick. So you were 19 when this happened. Yes. And had you done any kind of research in real estate up to that point? Or this was just kind of like spurred a moment? No. Now, I did have, um, it was like kind of an intern job with a real estate thing. But I was the admin for them. So literally, I didn't know what I was doing. 
Um, I would file paperwork. I would make sure people pay their rent on time for the guy. He had me doing really like minor tasks, but I was like oblivious to the whole real estate world. Mm -hmm. I mean, people lived in places, but that was just about as far as my knowledge went. So then after you got rid of that property, then you said, is this, is that, did that kind of spark your interest in starting to go into this journey or what happened from there? Kind of, yes. And so the mistake I made in selling is what sparked my interest. I am a very competitive person. So when (laughs) I lose, I come back with a vengeance. So what happened was the lovely realtor that helped me sell my property um, set me down with the financial advisor because here it is, this young girl, she has a lot of money. He's nervous for me. Like he, he just, he didn't even contain the enthusiasm. He's like, look, look, I'm scared. I think you should sit down with somebody that can help you. And I was like, okay. So I sit down with this guy and he's like, yeah, we'll put your money in a Roth IRA. Come back when you're 50 or 60. And I was like, huh? So you want me to go back to bagging groceries? I'm rich right now. I'm not doing that. Right? <laughs> he's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, the one property got me that much money. Maybe I should get more properties. I'm going to buy houses. Mm-hmm. So it was a shared stare amongst the two. They're like, what is she about to do? It was crazy. And he was like, all right, wait. Before you go off on your own, I want you to meet another person. Because obviously I wasn't interested in an advisor. So he introduced me to an investor. And that was my first time making a differentiation between agent and investor. So the guy says, hey, listen, the agent said you want to buy houses. I sell houses. What are you looking for? I'm like, everything. What do you have? He's like, how much do you have to spend? I am brutally honest because I know no better. I have 150000 <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. And I'm like, what's funny? Like, right? He's looking at me like, well, if you don't mind me asking, where did you get it? I'm like, oh, well. So I give him the story. He's like, you sold it for what? And where was it? I tell him. Like, you know, you could have sold that for three fifty. I was like, mm-hmm. no. Because if I knew that, I probably would have sold it for 350 Yeah, yeah. Um, so what ended up happening was he told me all about the market and equity. And it was like a really quick, quick crash course on investing and what my options were. Um, so what ended up happening was I bought a turnkey. That was the first order of business. He had that. He had about five properties, but I ended up purchasing maybe three from him at the time. But he literally just said, hey, in that area, you should have been able to sell it for at least 350 It was valued at this. Do you see the rooftop bets? All of this in a really quick conversation. So I was like, okay, now I'm interested, right? Because what did I miss? That was really important to me. And that's kind of where I started off. So just then, hold on, give me a second. I'm not going to say. No, no. <laughs> I said, go ahead. It's okay. You can go. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, okay. Kevin's, Kevin's joining the club here very, very shortly. Yes, very, very shortly. So it's always good to give him some on-the-job training. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really fun. It's a roller. You never know what's, what's happening. It goes from zero to 100 fairly quickly. In my house. Oh, my house, too. You have you just had one recently, right? I do. I have four children in total. Two-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old, three-month-old. You collect the camera, you collect the properties. Obviously, we're not going to have another boy. Okay, We have three girls and one boy. He was the oldest. And we're like, let's try it again. But unlike real estate, you can't pick what you're buying. I had that. I had those three girls in a row. I had three girls in a row myself. And I was like, boy, nope, no boys. No. Okay, three girls. That's two it. older boys, but I had three girls in a row at the, at the end, too. So. And then that was it for you. You was like, okay, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the odds are not in your favor. So. But girls are pretty cool. Yeah, they're awesome. They're way more responsible. 
Way more responsible. What, what, I love, <laughs> what I love about your story, Jamisa, is that you don't see a lot of women hustling and picking up these properties yeah. without kind of the man on the team leading the way. And it seems yeah. the opposite in your story, right? It is. And it's crazy because you don't, it's a few of them. Um, like we have Aisha Selden. And there's a few, I want to say three off the top of my head that I can name really strong women investors. Um, but yeah, it really, outside of that, is a male-dominated arena. We got to get a <laughs> The crazy thing is, usually behind the men who are leading is really the woman who's leading, if that makes sense. So guys, you have women, you know how it is. We are always the counselor. We are always the financial planner. We are the accountant. But you guys are the macho. You show up and it's like, yeah, break this wall, break that wall. Like if I tell you guys I'm a contractor, you wouldn't believe it. But no, I can tell you, hey, that's low bearing, move that, turn that, tweet, you know. So that's why I like my story too. And especially because I'm young, because I want people to know, hey, it can be done both ways. Yeah. Now, how did you acquire so many properties without technically what you call a real job? Well, Contrary to popular belief, investing is more than a road job. <laughs> I work harder as an entrepreneur than I have ever worked on the clock. Amen. Would I take it back? No, I would not take it back. I would not start over. But so what ended up happening is um, that one year with the 152, I bought nine straight off the bat. I literally spent almost every dollar I had at that 152. I have a really good gift of not being attached to anything um, materialistic. Name and money. I came from very humble beginnings, so I know exactly what it feels like to be broke, which is great for me because I know how to survive on bare minimal. I know how to do that. So when I had that money, I was like, well, technically it ain't mine anyway, right? It's kind of free. I just got it. Let me see. And me taking on that fearless approach, I was able to purchase a variety of properties really, really quickly. Now, in that, I realized a lot of things. Uh, one, you should do research because some of these properties I purchased sight unseen. Some of these were really good deals. Some of these were not really good deals. So that gave me a broad spread of information. I got to dissect each property individually. Okay, which is this one? This is the turnkey. Hmm. What is the turnkey? How do you? Okay. And can you not come back and talk? They want all the popsicles. She didn't steal the popsicles. I thought she could have the popsicles. <laughs> yes, you all can have popsicles. You don't come back. If you come back, I'll eat three popsicles all at once. On camera. They will see me eat all of your popsicles. <laughs> you for me? Thank you. <laughs> this is not robbery, by the way. We just took a peek at your negotiation skills. Now <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going. You don't even hear me. <laughs> um, so as I was purchasing, I got a chance like just firsthand to see what it was that I needed to see and experience as the best teacher. So I could buy 100 houses at once. No two deals are going to be the same. Mm-hmm. At all. <laughs> now... The very interesting part of this, and I and I want to be able to kind of break this down because a lot of us make sell a property and get a little bit of money or inherit money, just similar to your story. But we don't know exactly what we do. And I've seen a lot of people take that money and dump it into just one property. You spread it around and were able to pick up nine properties. Tell me a little bit about that and how that worked out and how much you were giving, what kind of financing. Break that down a little bit. Okay, so I think that just more ties into mindset. What you said, a person will get money and buy one thing. 
That's like a consumer mindset. Now, at the time, I didn't know that I had an investor mindset. I didn't know what I was doing. But as I went on, it became really strategic. And I was like, oh, so what I was doing is actually a thing. I started to play Monopoly. I was house rich and cash poor at the end of that first year. Right. So what ended up happening is I sold the weakest one in the portfolio. I said, okay, buy two more instead. And that's how I collectively was able to do it without having to pull in because I only had one mortgage. And that's recently. I just got a mortgage for my primary. But I literally just moved the pieces around. I would sell a property. I would buy two more. I wanted turnkeys. They were more interesting to me because I'm a mom. Right. I do not have time to yell at people at that point. I didn't know what construction really consisted of. And it was a little intimidating. So, OK, she's already paying rent. Well, how much? Oh, I don't have to fix anything. She's already paying. Yep, Give me that one. Mm-hmm. Give me that one. Give me that one. And it just kind of made more sense to me. But again, that just comes from my beginnings. You always maximize opportunity all the time. So here it is. If your, your grandma gives you five dollars. You could be the kid that goes to the store and gets the chips, the popsicle, the juice, and the sandwich. Your five is one. Or you can be the me and say, I'm going to save this and buy one thing each day for a dollar. So now I was able to use my five dollars throughout a whole week and your five dollars is gone. And that's really my real life. So I literally just did the things that I have always done. It was just now being done on a larger scale. Um, so that was pretty much it. So the first property I picked up was a turnkey. The second one was a treehouse. <laughs> my baby, I call it my baby. I in it because it was sixty five hundred, and I didn't feel like I needed to see it because it was sixty five hundred. Nowhere in my mind did I think, why is this property only sixty five hundred? No, no, no. I didn't get the whole idea of if it's too good to be true, then if it sounds too good to be true, then it is. I got it. Later on, I figured out why it was sixty five hundred. Um, the house after that, I got off of a guy on Instagram because remember I told you I found out a new term, which was investor. So I went on Instagram and followed everybody who had the word investor in the name or in the body. <laughs> so I meet this guy. He has this picture up on Instagram. And he's like selling a house. And I'm like, I want to see it. I go and negotiate. He was asking like maybe 60 or something. I talk him down. We had like 49-ish. I'm feeling good. Like, oh, I did it. I negotiated. We get to the closing table fast forward after the paperwork is signed. And I see the Instagram guy. And I see another guy signing a bunch of papers. I'm like, well, who's this guy? Are you partners? He's like, no, that's the owner. I'm like, oh, well, who are you? Instagram guy. He's like, oh, I'm a wholesaler. I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, oh, so the assignment contract. I was like, no. All right. That was a $15,000 wholesale lesson. At the table, five minutes flat. Needless to say, it never happened again. I learned very quickly the difference between agreement of sale and assignment contract. I was literally a crash test dummy. And it's still, and my lessons literally came just like that one did. Wow. So, real quick, a couple, quick, a couple quick questions. First of all, you're buying in what areas? Philadelphia. Okay, so all all your Philadelphia. homes. Philadelphia. All your homes are in outside of Philadelphia, in, in inside the city of Philadelphia, outside. Yeah, inside or the city of Philadelphia, I have two that are in Chester, which is like outskirts of Philadelphia. I have oh, one that's in Atlanta. Atlanta. That was a very random purchase. Um, let me see. I have Atlanta, Philadelphia, and now I live like upstate Pennsylvania-ish which is more like suburban, but it's really good for Airbnbs and stuff like that. But the bulk of my portfolio is made up of Philadelphia properties. Got it. Okay. And the, and the, the very thing that, the, the, the interesting thing that I see is you got a house from your grandma, right? And you sold that house, right? I did. So your first transaction, you kind of sold it. You didn't, you didn't hold it, but you sold the house. But then quickly, yeah. 
you change, you turn into becoming a investor and an owner in cash flow, right? How did cash flow become so in the forefront of your mind where you went from selling a house? A lot of people sell a house, make 150, and they'll get so stuck on making that 150 or 50,000 and I'm a wholesaler, I'm a flip. You're like, no, I'm going to buy homes, create cash flow now. Yeah. And you're like 20 years old. So my thought wasn't even cash flow. Um, well, that's what you would call it, but mine was more stability. What can I do to make more with doing less? You run out of house. You don't have to do anything. When you think about flipping, I watch HGTV like, HGTV like everybody else. You're not doing that in 45 minutes. I don't think people ever went into the inside of an abandoned property. Like When I talk to new investors and they're like, I want to flip houses. The first question I ask is, have you ever saw an abandoned house? And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, you don't want to flip houses. <laughs> you don't. If you have not saw a property that needed a full rehab, then you don't even think. Like, you don't know. You don't really know what it is. So my first thought was literally going in, I want a stability. And then maybe, sort of, that was the first year. I want to say maybe two years or two and a half years after that, people started to notice me and the things that I was doing. And they would ask me questions. And I would answer the questions. And then that would be followed with the call. Oh, my God, thank you. I made 60000 Oh, my God, thank you. This worked. I made 100000 Oh, my God, thank you. I was like, what the hell is going on? And they were like, oh, yeah, you're actually teaching people. Like, they were actually learning from what I was going through and making a lot of money from it. So the thank yous started to be followed with invoices. And then originally, I mean, eventually, um, the Rosebuds brand was birthed because my grandma's name is Rose. And then that brought in a lot of cash flow really, really quickly because I'm learning how to pick up properties for $600 now. I'm like learning how to navigate auctions now. People don't understand. They'll say like, you're the queen of share sales or the queen of tax liens. I only knew about auctions because my grandma's house was always for sale at an auction. So I was like, oh, we got invitations to this party. Let's show up and see what's here. I get there. I get a property for $1,700. Now at this point, I feel like Kanye, I got the bag, right? So $1,700 is nothing to me. I'm like, $1,700? What did I just win a $1,700 property? Then here's the kicker. They say, you don't have to buy the house. You just put down a deposit. You can give us the rest in 30 days. I was like, what? So you mean to tell me all the time, if I had $600, which I had, even working at ShopRite, you get $600 if you know how to save. Right? I bought my first car at ShopRite. So I always knew how to save. And I said, well, all this time I could have had real estate? Are you like serious? That became a thing. So I'm telling everybody, hey, you should go there. They have the properties for $600. This is the thing. You should go. And people are like, no, flipping it. Because that's a form of wholesaling for them. Mm-hmm. Now, subconsciously, I don't know what's happening. I'm just putting stuff together because I'm living through it. And usually when you're living through something, you don't really take a moment to realize what's actually going on around you and what's happening. But when I was able to take a step back, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Let me ask you a question. Let's back up to the auctions here. Are we talking about tax lien auctions? Are we talking about property auctions? Is this uh, a private auction? Is this a county auction? Give us a little bit about what that is and how it works. So a public auction, um, it could be tax. Cause like when people say auction, that was really a good question. They look at auction as a place. Like this is just an auction. No, you have tax tax deed, tax delinquent, tax collection, um, mortgage foreclosure, seizure, judicial. In a nutshell, auction is a place where properties are being sold below market value because they have defaulted on either taxes or mortgage. Just one or the other. The only difference in the names is the discrepancies in the rules that are involved with that specific auction. So some auctions will give you a lien on a property, meaning you will be first priority lien holder, but you are not owner of that property. You don't actually get a deed. 
Then text deed, it's like, okay, you'll get a deed, a text deed, but it won't be like an official deed of trust. It's just stuff like that. So that's what makes the difference between all of the auctions. I was specifically talking about text auctions. Um, in my opinion, depending on the one you choose, by far that has been the only place I've been able to get properties that low. Like I'm talking about dirt cheap. I have a seven unit for two thousand. That was from a text auction. A seven unit for two thousand dollars. Two thousand dollars split. Tax lien? Or t- that was a, no, that just was an outright tax auction stuff. Okay. So I didn't have no. to lean on it. I didn't have to evict or I didn't have to go to court and fight for D. Like I paid, I got D. It's in my name. Cool. For $2,000, seven units that are now cash flowing you. No. So- they're not cash flowing yet. I got to fix them up. But <laughs> when I'm finished, that one, that one building is going to bring me about 450000 because I'm going to do transitional housing with it. So I won't just run out. Cause it's going to be a little odd. I was thinking it's seven whole units. No family is going to need seven units to themselves. So then you would get into rooming houses. That was a little awkward. So the more appropriate way to go about that was to me transition. Yeah. Like that would make sense because that was more appropriate for the whole rooming aspect of it all. So let's break down that. Cause, cause people, you know, people know they hear about tax deed and tax certificate. Let's break down that transaction right there. Right. Let's break down like, how you found it, how you knew it was at the auction, the process of it, how you, you know, were you bidding against other people? Because you know, I, I go to auctions too. Uh-huh. You got a lot of people that are bidding those properties, right? And so, yeah. you know, kind of give us a breakdown of uh, that whole process. So I look at the ugliest houses in the world. I, I look for the houses that people are afraid to purchase because then I don't have to deal with that much competition. So for people in the world who are considering auctions, so you guys are listening to this, obviously it's live. Um, the things that you want to consider is one, do you get that property debt free? So before going to auction, I already know if this is going to be a tax deed, a tax lien. I choose to go to auctions that will give me this property without the hassle. I want the deed. When I buy this house, I want it to be mine. So you check for that. The second thing that you check for is, hey, do I get this property debt free? Um, some people get really caught up on a number aspect of it. Like, oh, I got a property for 2000 But then it comes with $40,000 worth of debt. Yeah. So you got it for 42000 So you have to call a spade a spade. Um, the next thing I look for is, hey, do I have to put down a deposit? And then if so, how long do I have to come up with the remaining balance? That presents an opportunity to wholesale if necessary or like make sure you got the funds, you know, going forward. This is a way to kind of figure out how high you'll bid when you go in. Because much like any other investor, I do the I do the 60 percent rule. I know that the standard is like, what, 70, right? 70 percent of the ARB. Yeah, that's what you hear. Yeah, I'm like real, real cheap. So I do 60. Yeah. Um, so I kind of run my numbers before going into it. Um, and then I make sure that there's no redemption. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's another thing. That I, it's like literally five key points I look for when choosing which auction that I'm going to go to. Check the list off to see, you know, what auction this is going to be and what discrepancies I have to look out for. And I go in and bid. Now, you have to keep in mind that when you go to auctions, a lot of people that are there have been there before. So they have habits. Some people go in based off of after repair value. Hey, I'm only going to bid on properties that are worth 200 or more. Some people bid on properties based off the zoning. I'm only going to bid on properties that are multi-units. Some people bid on areas. So you'll kind of pick up who wants what. But when they're auctioning off a thousand a month, there's something for everybody. And I think just coming in, and I don't want to say like with a desperate mindset, but again, with my little struggle mindset, I'm going to get whatever I can afford. I'm getting whatever I can get. I didn't really have a name or face to what I was looking for. I'm going off numbers. 1700 give it. 2000 give it. And then I realized, okay, that's the thing. This is pretty safe. Because most of the higher investors, they don't really have time for the smaller things, right? 
what you have to understand is being a product of gentrification, I kind of know how to identify it. You get the cheap properties because that's what they were doing. Uh-huh. I got there kind of in the middle where though the properties were selling for the 300, 400, so they didn't want to start all the way bare bottom. So they was kind of bitten in the middle. So I was like the bottom feeder. That worked for me because again, my strategy was different. I didn't need to flip. I needed to fix this up, make it rent ready and make my money. So going in, I didn't really have to compete with them because I was doing a completely different thing from them. Usually, how soon are they releasing addresses so that you can do enough research in your area? Well, I can say COVID just kind of, you know, put a blue. Yeah, totally now, yeah. <laughs> but usually you can see their properties like eight months in advance, a full list. Like I can see, even now, even with COVID, I can still see it. So the live auction, the last one was February 20th. So in February, I could see to December. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. It's just that while looking at the list now, I know that it didn't sell in March. It didn't sell in April. So now I'm looking at all of those selling when the sale commences. I'll just look at all of those. But they'll they'll usually allow you to see it months in advance, even with different states. How do you feel about the online auctions like HubZoo and Foreclosure.com and those? Do you even mess with those at all? No, and it's really crazy. Um, A good friend of mine, her name is Atiyah, she just put up buying that auction. Is it risky? Is it good? Right? And she actually pitched that you should purchase online. And I love her so much. And she was like, <laughs> I was like picking apart everything she said. I was like, nah, I call bullshit. Like, but you, it's kind of fake on Instagram, especially with ladies. You're super catty. So I just let her have that one. I left her alone. I don't like online auctions. She swears by it. She said she got her first six figure deal at an online auction. But if you are a beginner, I personally don't feel like you can afford an online auction. And that's my honest opinion. When you are in person, you give your best offer. You say 1500 I say 16 When you are online, if you lowball, you are out big, game over. To me, it's like if you can't come in strong with an online auction, you kind of, it's over before it starts with you. But some people like Hubzoo. Shout out to it to you. Yeah, I, I used to do a ton on Hubzoo, like yeah. 2010, 11, 12, right? Yeah. 13, I heard like, about it. I just... I looked at it, I was like tuned into one. I was like, ah, it's not my thing. Yeah. Hub, Hubs is difficult. And I think a lot of the properties there are now are kind of, like you said, they're bid up. They have a very, very high minimum bid. So you can yeah. bid on it, think you get it. They'll come back and say, no, you didn't get it. There's a lot of tricky stuff with Hubs, whereas, like, you know, I'm in, I buy a lot of Harrisburg PA. You know, we yeah. go to the right now. We're getting homes for $500 to $1,000, you know, $1,000, right? So you can pick yeah. those up for like that. So it's a lot easier process. I know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, you know because I tell people, and when I tell them, it goes over their head. They feel like it's too good yeah. to be true. So like to hear you say it, I mean, not that I don't already know, but it makes me, it's like a, a form of confirmation because I hear so often, if it's that easy, why aren't people doing it? If it? Because you have, you see what I just did. I was really respectful in my opinion, but I mentioned my opinion. Some people speak on it. It's the end all be all. Like this doesn't work because no, it didn't work for you because, like I said, Hubzu was her thing. She said it worked. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I just said it does not work for me. Exactly. So to hear you say that, that makes so much sense to me because you'll have people like, no, auctions are saturated. Auctions are. I don't care how saturated it is. There's inventory there. It's to be purchased. And even if you take it a step forward, you can actually go and get some of these deals prior to auction because now you know what's there. it's all about person and I do believe that what's for you is for you I don't yellow letter I don't door knock but I will call you right and most people are getting the calls from investors hey you're looking to sell your house you're going to lose it they're coming from a completely different approach I'm a person first I'll call you and I say hey how can I help you I know you done heard everything that anybody could possibly say to you 
Have you thought about saving it? What do you want to do? That opens up a whole different door for a whole different conversation. I've snagged a ton of deals that way. Mm-hmm. And then that leads into you can even do subject two if you don't want to do wholesale. Like it just presents different opportunities. So you just really made me happy when you said <laughs> it makes me feel really good. Because when I'm saying this, I'm like, no, it can't be that simple. And I really hate that. Like as a mindset, I'm like, yo, break out of what's not possible. All of this is for the ticket. This is all possible. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we, we kind of deal with it every day because everything that we do as far as creative, you know, people just think it can't be done because they've never seen yeah. it done before. Right. So you got to get past that. I wanted to go back to some, some keywords you said though, about the auction process, right? You mentioned redemption, you mentioned redemption period, right? Which me and Kevin know what redemption period is, but explain the redemption period and why it's important to buy ones that don't have a redemption period. If you can. Okay. So redemption period is pretty much the original owner's um, time frame to come and redeem a property that they lost. Meaning if you are a buyer and you purchased a property that has a redemption period, the person who lost it can come back and get the house that you just bought. Now they don't get it. Just like taking it away from you. You don't lose money. They do have to pay you back at 10% interest. Some of them is 15% interest. It depends on the auction. So you would have to do the proper due diligence there, but it was pretty much a waste of time. I mean, you'll make it 15%, but you won't actually get to do what you wanted to do. You were looking at renting it. No, they'll get their house back. You'll get your money back, but obviously you wasted time. Um, now, in my opinion, I have seen that the common thing with that is redemption usually only applies to properties that are owner-occupied. So make sure you check your state. Because, like, for example, in Michigan, it's a six-month six month redemption period, but then it goes up based off how much equity is in your house and if you're unoccupied. So yeah. if you have a lot of equity, it could, it could go up to nine months, right? Yeah, Whereas some states, there's zero redemption. And, yeah. you know, as soon as you get it, it's true. Like, well, if it's not unoccupied, it's abandoned, there's no uh, right of redemption. So that's involved. Remind me not to go to Michigan. Uh, <laughs> with mortgage foreclosure in Philly, there's no right of redemption at all. They don't care if you live there or not. So each one has their own discrepancies, like I mentioned. Um, prior to, but it's important to not go for the houses that have a redemption period because you don't want to waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I like that. So out of your portfolio, how much of it is made up of tax auctions? And then is there any other ways you've picked up your properties and you like, and you're, I guess, now partnering with people to, to, to do it as well? Oh, I'm calling partners. I'm just teaching. I'm the educator here. Um, so when you say purchase from auction, do you mean I actually went in and bid? Because I also get them off the list prior to, but that was still considered an auction property because I got it from the list. So I want to say half and half. But hold on a second. Break that down. What do you mean you're getting them off the list before they get to the auction? So remember, we talked about you seeing what sales are coming up and what's actually selling. I told you I call people. I am the friendly investor. I'm not, I'm not the face of gentrification. I don't sound weird. It's not like, give me your house. I don't care. And that strategy has worked for me. Um, I have got, I want to say maybe $1 million worth of equity has come from auction list. Not buying an auction. I'm saying I've had people that's like, I'm about to lose my house. For instance, this one lady, she owed $26,000. She hadn't paid her mortgage in about 16 months. She actually lived there. The property was worth four fifty in the middle of South Philly. I don't know what to do. And you know, all the people are so funny. These mother efforts are trying to take my house. I'm like, essentially your house kind of, you know, <laughs> but this is what I'll do. What I end up doing, because in total, her mortgage, I think it was about 150 left, but she only defaulted about 26000 I paid that 26000 
I gave her a little runaway money, right? And I inherited four hundred thousand worth of equity, which is called subject to at the time. I thought it was helping a friend. Like it's yeah. yep. this is my friend's grandma. So I thought this was just helping somebody. They was like, Oh, that's a subject to deal. I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you guys call is that what you guys call it? Not only that, she had another property that was not um on the auction list at all. Three story building, right? And she was like, Well, I wanna sell that too. So I gave her a couple thousand for that. And then total, that was one million worth of equity because the three story was worth six something. Um, so I was able to buy that outright. Boom. So that was crazy. So that's what I mean by breaking down the list because I was actually, uh, I teach people this auction strategy. Got it, got it. Yeah, I, I got the list yesterday for a couple of towns in PA. Actually, I said, hey, yeah. send me a list. So I got the list yesterday because we're, we're scouring yeah. our list too. I'm trying to get them before the other bidders are there, right? And what you do is right, trying you know? to get them before. That's what makes sense. So what I would do uh, back then, it would be live. My share of sale course was live. I would do a screen share. I'm super passionate about it. So it was cool. I was talking to people for like two hours. Like, this is where you click. This is the list. This is how you find out it's on ID5. Blah, blah. Eventually, I recorded myself doing it because I cannot talk to people for three hours that doesn't remember anything I said. Because it's overwhelming for a new person. They're like, remember when we was like 30 minutes in? I'm like, no. I don't remember 30 minutes in the four hours. What's wrong? Right, so I recorded it. But you could actually pull this list up and see what it is you need to see, and you can break down areas based off the zip code. You can break down zoning because this is all public record. So I'm not doing anything that you can't Google. I'm just saving you time because I'm showing you what exactly you should be looking at. Now, are you focused in just the Philly market? Are you showing students in different markets? How's that working out now? So originally, I'm a creature of habit. I'm from Philly. Instagram has made me very popular. So I got people, I have clients in Atlanta, North Carolina, South Carolina, Canada, like literally Canada. I have people that call me from islands. I somebody called me from Qatar. We had to do Zoom because we tried to talk to Jenna. I said, Qatar? What is I had to Google it. Like, part of my ignorance, I'm telling you, I'm like, Qatar, what's that? So, what I have realized is they do have auctions in all places. And that's how I came up with that list. Remember the list I said that I looked for? Yeah, because this strategy can be done anywhere. Um, just depending on where you're located, you'll have to change the way that you handle going to an auction. But, you know, I'll help you anywhere. Real estate is black and white. You have houses, you have numbers, and you have a need for people to live in places. So it's pretty right. simple. We got a couple questions. Let's bring up a couple here. Candace is asking, how do you deal with tenants and keeping the property up to par? Do you budget for when a tenant moves out and leaves it in a bad condition? No, I'm young, wild, and free. Should you budget? Yes. Me? No, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm really impulsive. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Starting out, though, yes, you should budget. So legally, what ends up happening is when you are a landlord, you need a rental license. That's something that you purchase. You need a lease. And what you are supposed to do is save the tenants money. So when they pay their security deposit, you don't go spend it. Usually, first-time landlords, go spend it. So do not. You're supposed to put it in a tenant landlord account because you are supposed to give it back to them after that first year, even if they stay. Most people don't know that. Legally, I learned that in real estate school. You're supposed to give them back their money. They could be there for five years. You're supposed to give them back their money after year one. So you do budget for things to go wrong. But ideally, how you start anything is how you finish. So you should plan accordingly. Make sure you put them in a house that is up to par to begin with. And then my lease stipulates if something goes wrong, you handle it this way. If it's something really minor that you did, you fix it. Do not complain to me about something that you broke. If you are flushing paper towels in the toilet, well, you obviously don't want the toilet to flush. You shouldn't be calling me for that. If it's something that I know 
that was like um, just something that I did wrong, I'll let you pull it from the lease as long as you give me a, I mean, the rent, as long as you give me a receipt, like, hey, listen, I had to take a hundred to fix this. If it's something I did, that kind of saves me time and money. Because otherwise I would have to use a property management company. They charge between eight to 12% regardless if something goes wrong or not. And then all they do is solve a problem that me and you as a tenant could have collectively solved together because I still pay for the problem. Yeah. So that's a jury. You're, you're like my property management company. You'll call and say, hey, yeah, she flushed this tissue down the toilet. Um, I got Roto-Rooter. I got XYZ. One's 200, one's 300, one's four. Who do you want? I say the 200 one. They call and schedule it. So they made 8% and I still had to pay <laughs> Roto-Rooter to come. It was like, to me, no, that's like the highest form of extortion. So <laughs> just make sure that you put a person in a property that's already put together. If you put them in a place that has leaks and squeaks, you can imagine you'll be getting calls about the leaks and the squeaks. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of budgeting accordingly, if you put them in a proper property, then your security deposit should be enough to cover what goes wrong if anything does go wrong. Yeah. And That's depending cool. on what area and what market you're in has different yeah. laws. Some of them require licensing. Some of them require special terms yeah. on a lease. Every market is different. Yeah. Consult with your local real estate attorney to make sure you're covering all angles. You're doing it right, yeah. But the key that you said, me and Kevin says a lot is, if you're going to do rentals, make sure you fix that rental up <laughs> like to the top level at first. Then you don't have all these repairs that come up all the time, right? right? right. Like we look at rentals, okay, we're going to put new furnaces, roofs, so that they're good for five to seven years. Right. They'll sleep better, a lot better at night. You know, a that's whole a lot start. better, but it's like, what, what do you expect? Yeah. If you buy a broken egg, obviously there will be leaking yolk. It's like, you know, no-brainer stuff, really, but... <laughs> we have a new investor in Philly. Do you have a video on how to understand the auction site? I do. It is called Share Sell Unlocked. So it's on my website. And when you go to Rosebud University, there's a ton of courses. I talk about how to be a landlord and I actually share my 13-page lease. It's airtight. It says, it says, if I fall at my property that you rent because you rent it, I can sue you. It's so crazy. Like, my lease is so <laughs> my lease is so crazy. But yeah, uh, I actually have a bunch of different courses. That is one. So that's called Share Sell Unlocked. I have how to become a Section 8 landlord in any state. Um, I have how to turn your house into a personal care home um, or CLA. That's what I kind of talked about with the seven unit. I have just a lot of different courses for beginners. That's my service. I specialize on one-on-one handholding through the new investor process. What's the actual website so that they know where to go? www.rosebudsinvestments.com. Um, you can also see the courses on my Instagram, which is at rosebudsinvestments. Both words are plural. So S at the end of rules, but S at the end of investment. Perfect. Now we got a Candace asking, how do you get the list and what do we search? It depends on what area you're in. So to avoid auction.com and Hubzill and uh, Zillow foreclosure, you probably start with your county. That's where I get the most accurate. So I'll start with the county that I'm in. And if you are in that county, then you should know who your sheriff is. You should know what looks like. Okay, this is actually the municipal office address, things like that. So I start with the county and then type in auction properties. And then I can actually look at a website. Hey, is this a .gov or a .org? You know, to kind of see which ones are a third party versus which is straight from the source. Um, yeah. Or you can buy it from your local municipal building until um, they do sell them in some areas. Have you ever purchased any of the tax lien vacant lots? If so, how profitable can they be? I love lots. I have a class on it. 101 things to do with lots. Yes, but I've only had the luxury of purchasing two. 
um, because I don't like narrow it out. I told you I get anything. Lots to me are very, very, very valuable. One, there's no maintenance. You keep your breast cut and make sure it's clean. That's like the best part of this for me is I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I don't have to winterize it. Nobody can steal my pipes. Sign okay. up. Tell Kevin about winterizing. I've talked about this winterizing before. He's from Miami, 100%. He has oh, no idea. He has no idea yet. Stay over there. Just don't, don't worry about winterizing. Don't look at the place winterizing. It's not fun. Frozen pipes it's are the worst thing in the world. Not, not <laughs> um, but lots are really good because the taxes are always lower. Um, from my experience, anyway, it's lower purchase. I mean, paying taxes on a lot versus a house. Um, and you still have so many options. You can actually monetize off a lot. Just as much, if not more, than you do with the house. People pay me to park on my lots. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Depending on where your lot is, you can actually build a parking lot or just have people, hey, I don't want to pay two-hour parking. Can I drive up on your lot and pay you instead? Absolutely. Run me the bag. Okay. Cannabis is a thing now. You become cannabis partners with people. You don't even have to show up. You let people grow cannabis on your, or have like a growing area on your lot. Cool. You can do what's called a wind farm. Um, You can partner and do like solar panels for your lot. Uh, Agriculture. It's just so many things you can do with dirt. It makes no sense. Obviously, you can build. That's the aspect of it. Um, when it comes to selling, do you think an investor wants to break a whole house down and build from the ground up? Or would they want a blank canvas as an investor? What makes more sense to you? They'll pay you top dollar because yours is a clean slate and they don't have to worry about demo and hauling. They're like, oh, no, this is already ready to go. Let me get it. Like, there's just so many things that you can do um, with land. So, yes, I have purchased. I wish I had a little bit more. Um, but like I said, for me, my hands kind of tied with the auction. I take a couple people every month, and when they be bid, I'm itching in my seat. Like, can I bid on this one or no? They're like, I want it, and I'm like, <laughs> so wait, so wait, so you're actually teaching people this, right? And then you're taking it to the auction. The auctions where you bid at, and you have to hold back from bidding because the people you're teaching are bidding at the same time. Yeah, and it's really weird because I know I win, <laughs> and it's like I can't charge you to teach you something. It did like slam dunk on your head. Like that's just not how that works. So when I do get a chance to go in by myself and nobody's uh there, I do still bid at auctions. But for me, it's been me working a list now. That's how the list became really important to me. Cause let me get some of these before I take these clients here because I need me some more houses. So yeah, I can't bid as often as I, I'm used to, not for myself anyway. Jamisa, question. A lot of people are listening today because if you now knowing what you know mm-hmm. had to start from scratch and do it all over again. Now you told us your story and it was a lot of trial by error, bumps and bruises, not even realizing you're doing sub two deals, not even realizing what you're getting yourself into, but figuring it out. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I've gotten from you. You exactly uh, your superpower is solving problems. Absolutely. It's now, the right one. To taking that that experience and now going back from scratch, starting at zero, where would you start? What would you do? What would be the action steps? Okay. So the one thing that I would do exactly the same is I would always go. Don't ever get the analysis paralysis to trying to figure it all out. If I would have got caught up in that, I probably wouldn't be where I am because there's so many things to, to tie you up and make you feel overwhelmed. Um, I would purchase multi-units more. The very first thing that I would do is I would get a mentor. Um, me being, so for women, because I got two different answers, one for women and one for men. 
women, we tend to be like, and don't kill me, we tend to be super emotional about things. This is business, right? So when looking for a mentor, it's always, who can I trust? It's like you're not in it to really trust, you're in it to kind of learn. And you can pick apart what feels right and what sounds right from from what does not. But if I had a mentor and actually just decided to learn from everybody who spoke or everybody who taught and just depict what was right for me, I would have been better off. I had a habit of not listening to people if I didn't like their delivery. If I don't like how they made me feel, oh, you're mean. I'm not listening to you. Like It could have been a different outcome had I just went in clear-minded, right? So I will always say, like, the first thing that you do is get a mentor. Not every mentor is, like, somebody that you have to pay. I have mentors whom I've never met. Go on YouTube, listen, learn, but execute. Make that a point to execute. That is, like, my gift. I learned something. I hit the ground running. Let me see. I do not acknowledge failure. So it's either I learn something and earn something. Or I figure out what not to do next go around. And then I learn and earn, you know? So just execute, you know, find a mentor. Um, it's much easier to watch somebody else step in poop so you can know to walk around it. I've stepped in a lot of poop, so I can say that. I've earned the poop crown. Um, <laughs> I would do that. I would definitely do the multi-units. Like I said, you can maximize your earning potential while minimizing your liability that way. Um, I would be open to just different types of investor. Not everything is black and white. Not everything is just... I'll be a landlord and collect one check because that's still like a job, right? You get one paycheck. It's like, that's no fun. So just look at the transitional housing aspects. Look at, like, we'll hear things and just say, yeah, that's it. Like Section 8, that's a great opportunity, but that's not the only opportunity, right? Um, Don't be afraid of collaboration. Not everybody's going to rob you. (laughs) I have my fair share of both. But just like there are bad people in the world, there are also really good contracts. (laughs) One way or another. It's like either you get into a really good situation and you make a lot of money with people, or you get into a not so ideal situation, but your contract protects you and you good. And you sue them and you keep it going. Because um, I did a lot of this just like kind of on my own. I was like, I don't want partners. I don't know. You know, so I wouldn't make that mistake again because um, more money is more power. And collectively, we have the power to move faster if we move together. Mm, what else would I do? I don't know, I probably would have just turned it up a little bit more. I feel like I did really good, but I feel like I could have did great if I just went crazy. Like, credit, business credit. Like, I didn't know about that at all. I would definitely, like, the first thing I would have did off the bat was pay, I don't care if it was a lot of money. I would have paid the vast majority of what I had to make sure my credit was straight so that I could get in business credit because that's a whole different world of different equitable options and mm-hmm. different capital. Um, I didn't even know you could buy houses with credit cards. You know, now that I know, I'm like, uh, redo. But I just pick up what I learned and move forward with it. But uh, yeah. That's awesome. No, I mean, our, our podcast, Shut Up and Invest, is all about not falling victim to paralysis, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. So you just kind of went out there and did it, learn as you go. And that's the best way to do it. You know, Absolutely. you learn as you're doing it. Absolutely. I think the beautiful part about each one of us here is Nothing's been perfect along the ride, but we're still standing. We're still doing deals. We're still in the game and we're better for not only our wins, but especially our losses. Yeah. I learned a lot more from my losses than I did my wins. That's why I said I don't even call them losses. I feel like everything that didn't work out for me wasn't supposed to because what I've been able to pull from my losses is crazy. It's like super crazy. Rosebud is made up of all of the things that didn't go in my favor. That's why I'm not a guru. If I was a guru, everything would be perfect. Yes, yes, pay me lots of money. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. 
right? <laughs> well, because I was able to lose in certain aspects, I was able to learn how to navigate through them. And that's where the, the magic is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you're about to be 27 years old. Yeah. You got 20 plus properties in your portfolio. What is in the future? I mean, what are the goals? What What does your New Year's resolution list look like? I want some Airbnbs on space. Um, on space? As soon as they open up spaceships, I'm... Um, seriously, I want a few islands. Like, I'm looking to do some resorts. I want, like, uh, apartment buildings. It's a lot of money there. Like, I'm trying to find a 50, 100 units. Like, somebody sent me a, a deal in Georgia. It was, I think, uh, 100 units and 37 of them were rented and they were asking $12 million, But they were open to seller financing, given that we put down 1%. So I'm looking at a lot of just like collective strategies to build us as a whole. I'm going to be honest. I have enough now to retire and my children are okay. With 100 extra units, I don't even know what I would do. It's like when you're this young, it's like I run out of stuff to buy. I just got a Tesla X in cash. And now I'm like, oh, I should get an Aston Martin. I'm like, yeah, you're sick. You should not. Like, so I'm like running out of things to do responsibly. So now it's to me just more about the give back. So like I said, I want some like big units. Um, Toomsboro, Georgia. I actually got approved for $1,850,000 to buy it because I was on Instagram and he said that it was like selling for 1.7. I don't know how true that is, but if I could buy it like, you now. That's the town. That's that town in Georgia, right? That's the whole town, yes. Yeah, I actually go meet the mayor so she can meet me. I feel like if she met me, she would let me buy it. I think right now they don't want gentrification to sneak up over. You know, they're quiet. They live really calm lives over there. They probably like get us off Instagram. We do not. <laughs> um, but stuff like that, I'm looking to literally purchase that town. Like I was able to secure the funds, and I just kind of stopped because once I reached out to the proper people, they're like, "Yo, that's not for sale. That was a meme. They're lying. Yeah, yeah. Put your money away. What are you doing? Put your wallet away. What are you doing?" Um, but just stuff like that, I want to buy like whole towns, whole blocks. I want to really pitch financial literacy to people because you can start where you are. No, you do not need an 800. No, you do not need a million dollars. My grandmom's house, in which I pretty much inherited, was a Section 8 house in her day. You understand what I'm saying? It took for me to take the initiative to take it a step further. It's all up to us to just take it that step further. There's no excuse. Okay, my house was given to me. So that $300, cool, that's fair. But you can still go get one for six. So now what? There's no excuse, right? We we got the PUA money. We see you guys. I see you, PUA people. Don't go buy any more bag of shoes. Please go buy at least one house. One property changed my whole life. You guys should just uh, buy a house. Like wholesaling is the thing. Subject to is the thing. Subleasing is the thing. Like all of these things are things, and you should make it a part of your thing. Um, or you can just be a victim to your circumstances. But I don't believe in it. No, that's so key. That's so. And what I love, you said a couple of times too about the neighborhoods you're buying these houses in. I, you know, I buy houses in the same neighborhoods where we don't real we don't realize growing up that these opportunities are right right next door to us, right? Where you can buy a house next door to you where you grew up, for, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, right? And no one else is buying it, right? So that's why I've I've dedicated my life to going back to my neighborhoods, buying them, quantum and seller financing, right, and teaching people, hey, take three five grand and buy this house, right, or take a couple hundred bucks to buy this house, so. Like no. three, four friends. I mean, they're not really your friends if you can't get a bag together. Same people you get. These are like your friends. You guys go do all types of stuff together. You don't want to build like a foundation for legacy and wealth together. Yeah. Like to me, it just kind of makes sense. We always talk about what we don't have, what we don't have, and because we focus more on what we don't have, we don't get a chance to acknowledge what we do have. And opportunity is everywhere. I mean, it doesn't say opportunity, so we're not actually really looking at it as. Actually, 
It says opportunity zones everywhere. We, it says opportunity zones. Exactly. Right? <laughs> absolutely right. So maybe they're just, you know, not not looking into it. But yeah, so I'm like pitching the financial literacy thing, buying back the hood, buying back blocks, um, just not working so much. Like I think COVID was an eye opener. You guys like can agree that people really bust their behind to go to work mm-hmm. um, for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like COVID came and was like, I control what you eat, where you live, what you do. And they're like, all that work is pretty much in vain. But it's like, why not put that much time and energy into yourself so that you can have something for yourself or for your family, especially with women. Like we always say, I'll do anything for my children. But it's like, you're doing everything except what really needs to be done. If you drop dead right now, they are not going to be able to clock in. They're pretty young. What did you have to leave them except a W? What is it, a four or a two? What do we get? A four, a two? We get four. I don't know. They get, I don't know. It's been a while, I, haven't right? a w, I haven't got a W anything. It's been a long time. Long time I mean, like the, the thing that the workers get, I think it's a I four. think it's a W too. Because it's two. Whatever. You can't get it to a six year old. That's my. Per, that's the point, pretty much. Can't get it to a six year old. Yeah. No. I, you gotta give them. You gotta leave ownership. You gotta leave something back. So. Yep. Which you, you know, don't. You do not control. So. Jim, Misa, this is your Instagram right here. You want people to follow right here. This is Rosebud's Investments. This is how people can connect with you, correct? Yes, that is me. That is me. Looking like a superstar. I love what you're doing. You are taking on new students all the time in different markets. I am, and I like give out information all the time. I talk trash on my lives every time I get a split second. It's like, wake up and do it. I think in that picture in the middle, I talked about how I got um, an invite to a private mastermind and I have a three month old and it was like, I know you have a baby. You probably won't make it. I was like, pack, pack. I packed us up and we went. So I kind of just always, I, I practice what I preach wholeheartedly. So even if you just need a little bit of motivation, because not every day is going to be a good day. I don't care how much money you make. Every level has a different devil. Okay. It's all fun and games to be a six and seven figure earner until those tax bills come. Right. But no matter what, you have to keep going. The world is so broad and it was put there for us to take advantage of and to have pieces of. So that's pretty much what that Instagram is about. Awesome. We got Jamisa. Your story is incredibly inspiring. I've been looking into tax lien for a few years. Now you've given me the confidence to go for it. So thank you. You are super, super welcome. I'm looking forward to your success. Just start anywhere. It's like you're either going to do really good at it or you're going to suck at it. But if you do bad at it, you're going to know what went wrong. It's not like we fall and don't know what tripped us. Like, you know. So just go for it. You really have nothing to lose at this point. Even if you had everything to lose, you always had a new day to come back and, you know, start over. So, yeah. We are definitely going to bring you back in a few months. Check in, see what the newest, latest, and greatest is. All right. All right. One hour with you is definitely not enough, but we appreciate you. If you guys appreciated this, make sure you follow her. Make sure you leave comments on the YouTube. Make sure you share this. We need to spread the word. We need to buy up the block. Jay, you want to close us out? Hey, I just appreciate you coming on. We met you uh, about last year around this time, right? We met you and you came down. I know we've been talking about having you come on for a few months. So I'm happy that, you know, I know you got a lot going on. You got the kids, the business. You know, we don't mind the kids coming on the podcast. (laughs) We all got it. You see my negotiations? They're foolproof. We have not heard a kid. You gotta do what you gotta do, but thank you for joining us, man. Such such a great story. We thank you guys it. for having me and just thanks for the podcast in general. It is plat- oh. it is platforms like this that make it uh, easier for people to kind of know where to start.
Um, so this is really good. Keep up. Keep the great guests. Keep the great energy and all of the awesome information. Thank you. We appreciate you. All right, guys. Shut up and invest. Hey, thank you once again for listening to Shut Up and Invest. If you guys are motivated at the thought of continuing your real estate journey with us, then visit shutupandinvest.com. There you can join our community and take advantage of more free resources. And don't forget, please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear our new content every week. Most importantly, get active and don't forget to shut up and invest.